Today's TripCast is presented by Vistra Energy, a premier Texas-based energy company integrating the state's largest retail electricity provider and generator. Learn more at vistraenergy.com. And the American Heart Association. One in three women will die from cardiovascular disease or stroke. Wear red this week to support your mother, sister, or aunt. And learn more at yourethecure.org. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, oh, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, oh, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are Texas guys Hello, this is State Representative Chris Turner from Grand Prairie and chair of the House Democratic Caucus. It's State of the State Week here in Texas, so I thought I'd take this opportunity to report to you on the state of the TripCast. The state of the TripCast is strong. The state of the TripCast is exceptional. And to the millions of listeners out there, I hear it's the biggest audience for any podcast ever. You're making podcasting great again. And now, here's your host, Ross Ramsey. Thank you. This is Ross Ramsey here on behalf of Circuit Editor Emily Ramshaw with on the first day of February, I'm joined by CEO Evan Smith. Again, we, we didn't hear the intro in the room, so yeah, Speedtech and Alexa no don't know. who it is. Lil Yachty. Lil Yachty. No, <laughs> Reporter of Alexa You Oros. just wanted to say that. <laughs> I, I did. You're exactly Hello. right. And Patrick Speedtech. Hello. It's, uh, it's Chris Turner. Okay. It's Chris Turner. So is that his other name, Lil Yachty? That was how he got elected. That was how he got elected Democratic Does, Caucus Chair. Was he said, "Just call me Lil Yachty." All that that explains how he got elected. If that's on the ballot, you know, people could be very popular. Lil Yachty. So that takes us boat. That takes us directly to the state of the state that the governor finally delivered this week. This is like the the second to last set piece, I guess, before House committees, and then we'll be able to finally start the session that's been starting for three weeks. Patrick, you were watching this. What did you see? Well, we got four emergency items. Uh, they were CPS reform, sanctuary cities, ethics reform, and convention of states. Um, I think if you look at those emergency items, those were largely expected. Um, he did touch on a, a litany of, of other issues throughout the speech. What, what stood out to me the most beyond the emergency items um, was, you know, number one, this immediate hiring freeze that he announced as a way to deal with some of the uh, budget issues. And number two, what he had to say to lawmakers about funding his pre-K program, uh, he believes that both the House and Senate budgets uh, dramatically uh, are dramatically underfunding his pre-K program that he passed last session, and he basically told them, do it right or don't do it at all. It was a very kind of sharp message, at least as far as, uh, you know, Abbott's statements have gone in the do, past. Do, is, does the, do they have any uh, reason to fear him? Like, if the, I mean, I'm all for the governor saying, you yeah. know, bringing it. Right. But the reality is, what are the consequences of the House and Senate not bringing well, it? I guess, he can, I guess he can veto they stuff. they got a little history yeah. on pre-K, too. Could sure, you go yeah. that some? Yeah, I mean, you know, last session, I mean, there was considerable conservative angst over this pre-K program right. that Abbott was pushing. I mean, um, the— oh, right. That was the, the godless. Yeah. <laughs> Joanne Fleming the, called it know, godless, right? right. You know, yeah. Dan Patrick— That's angst. That's how you His now d- defunct, I believe, grassroots advisory committee had circulated a letter, at least some members had circulated a letter calling, uh, you know, assailing this program as godless and, um, I believe, socialist as well. And so the, he had plenty of political headaches um, to deal with last session, just getting this um, program— program passed through the legislature legislature, and then up and running, and now it looks like there could be another showdown over the continued funding of it. Well, and to your point about showdowns, you know, they had this sort of famous meeting now in the Agriculture Committee Room, which is a room on the first floor of the Capitol, 
important to reporters because it's one of the few rooms in the Capitol that doesn't have any cameras in it. Yeah. <laughs> so they have, you know, secret meetings down there. Anyway, they had this meeting, the Republican caucus, I guess, and Abbott said, if you vote with me on this bill that you and I are getting flack on, I will back you up in your elections. And then the elections came and he didn't back a lot of them up. And a so lot the of them theory still, is some a lot of them are, members are, of the House are, are still peeved about Look, look I think on the four emergency items, just an right. observation, sanctuary cities and um, CPS reform are kind of like no duh. Right. right. CPS reform is a true bipartisan issue. Sanctuary, it's an actual emergency. Right. It actually fits the word. Sanctuary cities is one that a is a- couple months ago. It was an emergency 10 years ago. True. Yeah. Sanctuary right. cities is one that is a little bit more of a divider rather than a uniter as issues go, but right. we'll come to that maybe a at some point. More. A little bit more. Um, I think on ethics- how did that work out last time for you, Gov? He vetoed it. Right. I mean, it wasn't his doing. It was the fact that the thing got to be a shitball as it went through the session. Yeah, they sent him a, a burning dumpster. Right. But, right. Yeah. I think the convention in the States thing is a little mystifying to me. We may disagree or we may disagree about that. It's, it's just mystifying. a little, I mean, it's a resolution, right? They can do that now. Like, and let's well, say they We let's actually say inquired they, about that right. <laughs> because that's an interesting point. So what's the deal? But let's oh, say they pass it. What, is it, sure yet, what does it mean if they yeah. pass it? What does it I mean? mean? It's, it was a predictable emergency item in my view. I know he cares about it. He cares about it a lot. But you put it up against CPS. Sure, yeah, it definitely so doesn't seem substantive compared a, to those other let's issues. Let's say Texas so, passes on, the on. bill. It doesn't mean the Constitution gets amended. B, <laughs> and C, there are conservatives who <laughs> no, oppose it. No, I know why Emily hates B. her job. <laughs> this is why Emily hates her she job. Works with so, so back this up. Start with Convention of the States. What's he want to do exactly? What can the legislature do? If it worked his way, what would happen? Yeah, so there needs to be resolutions passed by both chambers in the, in the Texas legislature, you know, basically applying for a convention of states, which would be, would be used to then amend the U.S. Constitution, assuming 30-something other states would pass these resolutions. Um, obviously, right. Texas alone is not enough to force that convention of states. Right. 34 states, I think. I believe it's, it's 34. Um, and, you know, Abbott... Something he really cares about. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he made this his issue a year ago when he had this really high-profile, splashy launch, you know, put out this this very lengthy plan, had a speech, I believe, at TPPF. Um, he wrote a book about it over the summer, crisscrossed the state promoting that book. Fancy boss, right? Exactly, yeah. And so, I mean, it's, you know, it's something that he, you know, appears to appears to really care about. And again, it, you know, when you line it up against CPS reform and some of his other issues, maybe it doesn't seem like the most weighty issue, but it's, you know, clearly something he views as and an it, emergency. It sets up like a road trip thing, right? You yeah. to kind of throw down and say, I'm in if we do a road trip, but we're not doing a road trip unless there's 34 people on the bus. <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, I just think, I don't know. I mean, I wonder how much the average Texan actually knows or cares. It was, I got to like say, that. it was, he, it was a center part of his, or a center point in his speech at the Republican state convention last summer, and it was kind of flat. He, he cares about and it. And those are people who are crazy about politics. Right. He, he cares about it. Patrick is right. He cares about it. But, you know, I play tennis, and somebody <laughs> somebody hits a ball out, and I call it out, and they complain, and I say, you know how I know it was out? Because I called it out. That's how you know it was out. It's an emergency because he called it an emergency. Well, right. Whether it's actually an emergency. He called the ball out. Now, the, here's the thing about it. You know, it's a it's a relatively low risk vote for members of the legislature. Oh, to absolutely. Take. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's because an easy it's, vote. It's, this it's, is nothing to it. It's meaningless it, right. in the sense that, as you point out, Texas decides to pass this resolution. The fate of this thing as a big issue is in the hands yeah. of twenty nine other states who have yeah, to pass it. Uh, but if yeah. they cross the governor, I think that actually the interesting thing from his perspective is, it's it's a meaningless vote if you vote yes. It's a meaningful vote if you vote no, having raised the stakes to emergency item, right? Okay. 
You don't think so? Yeah. Well, I just yeah, I just I, I, I don't. He's admit, just bored I by it. This is one of those. This is one of those. Ross, things. the host, is so much more boring than this Ross. Is, the this panelist. is one of those things that goes by in the House and the Senate in the local calendar, and everybody goes, "Oh yeah, did we pass that?" Is any, anyone even? It's not write a thing until it. I mean, it's it it's an it could be a big thing if you get a bunch of states in the convention hall somewhere and they start proposing amendments to the United States Constitution. Right. But until you get to that point, it's sort of like, it's a yawner. And the risk, of course, as we talked about the last time right. this came up on the podcast, is that there are a bunch of conservatives, Connie Burton is among them, who actually oppose this. And the reason they oppose it is they say you cannot limit the call if you have a convention of the states and you suddenly you know, put aspects of the, right, the, danger of the Constitution, is that you A, B, and C, mm-hmm. right. those smelly communists in California bring up D, E, and F, and you can't yeah. prevent that. The right. risk you start is actually great that you rewrite the whole thing. Well, you know, Texas had a constitutional convenient convention in the mid-'70s, and exactly that happened. It got to a point where they got in a fight over a union thing and blew up the whole deal and said, yeah. never mind, never mind, let's keep the Constitution we had. That's why we have a constitution I, with I, I 70 just, billion amendments. To go all the way back, I still think the most notable thing was, was pre-K. I think the the, 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 the <laughs> knock. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Straight <laughs> in the state speech. I forgot. <laughs> That's how I, we started the, the knock, if there's been a knock against Abbott, and I think this was recently kind of encapsulated in a, a Texas Monthly article where they said it, it, he acts like he's trying to um, avoid pitfalls for his next reelection versus actually creating a legacy. I think right. he's continuing to make clear that if there is an issue he wants to be remembered for, an issue that he wants to be part of whatever his legacy will end up being as governor, it's, it's pre-K. It's Something he definitely has stuck his, his neck out on. Right. So right. that's what stands out to me. So anything else jump out of this thing? I mean, one of the things that was notable about this was what wasn't in the speech. He didn't mention bathrooms, which has been a big issue the of conversation. bathroom was not did, in the did speech, Did anyone right? really expect that, though? I, you know, I wasn't no, sure. No, but we're reporters. We want to, you know. <laughs> well, the speaker asked for clarity from the, the speaker yeah. asked for clarity from the governor on this bill. I know that he talked to Patrick during the inauguration, and he said, I'm basically – in kind of wait-and-see yeah, I mean, wait yeah, mode, yeah. right? But the fact is he still has not come off the sidelines and declared a, a, an up or down on this the way he has with sanctuary cities and school choice to name two other potentially yeah. con- contentious right. issues. So it was notable probably in that he's not solved the problem of what does the governor think about this. Right, right. And I think the fact that he hasn't jumped into that is a cause for – is a um, – that's an answer in and of it, itself. It right? helps a member who wants to wait. You know, if you want to wait and you want to slow this thing down, I'm just going to wait for the governor on this thing. It becomes a slowdown device that's probably antithetical to yeah. what Patrick's trying to do. And, and I think, too, he has uh, aligned himself just in the past few weeks very strongly with the Senate and with Dan Patrick on, on other issues. So to maybe, you know, kind of deal with the angst that may be caused by him not, you know, coming out with a position on the bathroom bill or embracing the bathroom bill. You saw him with the school right. choice rally, right. very vocal there. School choice got a prominent yeah, shout if out. If you send this to my desk, speech. I will choose to sign it. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, which is big for Abbott. Yeah, that's um, a, yeah, it's like, <laughs> whoa, he, he took statement. a position on it. Um, How about that? You know, and also his budget, uh, you know, which we're still going through, is, is definitely more aligned with the Senate's vision um, than it is with the House's vision. So, right. you know, I mean, he's given the Senate some things, Dan Patrick specifically, some things right. to like about his agenda, even if he's not going out there and, and taking a firm position on the bathroom bill. Right. One other thing. Oh, that and then the, uh, the rainy day. Oh, look, we talked about the rainy day fund. Uh, we didn't. We can't. The looting. He talked about looting it. Well, I wanted to go to budget. You know, he did. You know, the governor's budget famously doesn't matter. You know, it's a doorstop. It's not part of the process, really. A governor can assert a budget. The members of the House and the Senate can choose to look at it or choose not to look at it. It's not really an official document. But Governor Abbott has put one out, and it does say, here are my positions on these things. He wants to spend more, for example, on child protective services than either the Senate or the House proposed and weighs in on the rainy day fund. Says, don't use it at all. Use it for this. Don't use it for any. What was the? What was your read on it? 
my my read is that he's not psyched about the idea of it being used. But I did not read. He didn't say don't use. I it. didn't read the speech as a hard don't use it. Right. And, and, and he has he has laid out before, I believe, as part of his tw- 2014 campaign uh, platform. He has actually laid out a criteria uh, for when he believes the rainy day fund should be used. I mean, his mm-hmm. official position is is not we should never use the rainy day fund. Right. You know, there are conditions he's laid out uh, in, in decent detail. Obviously, it was back in 2014. Got really good memory. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. I know because he told me about this when I spoke to him a few days or several days ago. But I mean, so he's you know he's been out there on the record about right. this. And again, as as Evan pointed out in the speech yesterday, he said, "Don't loot it." I believe he said we shouldn't loot. Right, but the of course, what does loot mean, Alexa? Yeah. Loot means there's a floor. loot means you're spending the money on something I don't want you to spend yeah. it on. <laughs> and to some conservatives, any time you touch the rainy day fund, that's looting it. You know, I mean, it's, right. it's well, obviously. Yeah, it depends yeah. on what your perspective is. <laughs> right, on so looting. so on govern like a pirate day. <laughs> right. Presumably, Our, we would yeah, not. Gonna, right, exactly. Right, yeah. um, it's going to be just as a data point, eleven point nine billion dollars in the rainy day fund, and they used to sweat about this having money in it because they thought it was you know evidence of overtaxation. Um, they don't sweat about that anymore. It's kind of well, the example, maybe it's because I've got the conversation I had last <coughs> week with Four Price and Joe Moody about mental health policy still ringing in my head. Right. But the example that I keep hearing over and over about a potential good use for the rainy day fund would be a one-time withdrawal to refurbish all the fall-down state hospitals. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, that you have these state living centers that are in desperate need of repair. They haven't been renovated in years. you got holes in walls and rats and all that kind of stuff. And it's relatively low out-of-pocket. Right. It would be a one-time out-of-pocket. And that would seem to fit the traditional definition of what would be quali- you know, qualifies as a use I don't know that the- it's low. I think it's seven or $800 million. Well, in but- a budget like this, right. with the amount of money that's available, it's not you know, like it's a $6 billion withdrawal, right? Right. Um, the point is that I keep hearing that example used. Well, that's a one-time thing. But, you know, for a lot of the stuff that people are saying we need to put more money into, I don't know how you qualify that as a one-time thing. And the Senate already has been very reluctant to, to draw down that amount. There's some noise in the Senate about being able to use rainy day money for one-time items. There's still a hard line no against using it for rolling expenses or for ongoing expenses uh, that I think probably has some sympathy in the House. But you think the lieutenant governor would be willing to entertain a use even for one-time expenses? I have my doubts. I think some of the senators he, would. I he's think been on record this year saying that in a radio interview. Yeah. That, he, that he would not or would. That he, would, he believes it should only be used for one-time expenses. It okay, was, well, it was a radio interview, I believe, before Hager's estimate came out, but yeah. he has said it this year. Yeah. Okay, well, good. So, possibility. Go. Um, so, travel, comma, banned, it says here in my notes. Tell us about this thing. Is, is it a travel ban? Is it a refugee ban? First, let's figure out what to call it. Both. Um, so, on Friday afternoon, just as we all thought we were going to start a normal weekend, news uh, Donald Trump signed an executive order in which he banned the entry of individuals from seven predominantly Muslim countries. And on top of that, also put the refugee resettlement program on hold for 120 days, but he also put Syrian refugee resettlement on hold indefinitely mm-hmm. beyond those 120 days. And it was the sort of thing where it, it was late on a Friday and, and folks didn't really know what would be the immediate fallout until the next day when flights started coming in from all of these seven predominantly uh Muslim countries or, or flights from other places. Kind of in the air and in process. Right. People who are already go. coming from other places but were who are citizens of these countries and right. led to detainments and protests and, and, and really just chaos at, at some of the airports this weekend. Um, so 
there were some clarifications and conversations and whatnot. What's the does it look the same way now it did on Saturday? Well, the big question was for what this meant for green called green card holders, legal mm-hmm. permanent residents. You know, these are people who some of them have been living in this country for decades. Some of them, you know, they they have jobs, they have children, they have families here, and the green card is basically permission to work. Right. right. And so these were folks who were, you know, some of them are eligible for citizenship, and these were folks who were being detained. There were questions if people were even being let on planes when they were trying to get in on a plane to the United States. There was some sort of clarification. That, that it was in the best interest for green cardholders to be allowed entry, and then there was some confusion as to whether that was actually being implemented on the ground mm-hmm. at some of these airports. I mean, it was it was pretty chaotic. We saw it here in Texas, but really all over the country, you had you know five year olds who were detained for hours, the elderly who were detained. I mean, it was it was a bit of a mess, really. So, are there still people detained at the airports? That cleared up pretty quick, didn't it? Well, so the problem with all of this is that it's you you don't know if someone's detained unless there's a family member there saying. I'm missing someone who right, I came to the pick communi- up. Right, because the communication from the detainment portion of these airports has Was been largely non-existent. Right, right? Yeah. You, you, people are not able absolutely, to communicate. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, That's interesting. I, as of I mean, as of yesterday, I saw reports out of DFW where they were still dealing with people who were being detained. And what it sounds like now is that it's it takes a couple of hours for some of these green card holders or other visa holders to get some sort of waiver, you know, to be allowed in. But mm-hmm. on Saturday, I mean, there were some people who were held at the airport for 24 hours before they were let go. And so, and, and really the only way people knew who was in there and had a list of names was because their family members were at the airport waiting for them. I'm, I'm gonna blindside you a little bit. How come it was a problem at DFW and we didn't hear anything out of out of Intercontinental in Houston? Oh, well, there was a huge problem in Intercontinental well, and there was massive protest on Saturday. It, it okay. started a little bit later at, okay. in Houston. Yeah. It might've been a flight schedule okay. problem, but I think it goes back to the, the idea that there, there was no way to know who was detained unless there was someone vouching right. for that person, which is a little. I mean, people had didn't have access to lawyers. They didn't have access to telephones. I mean, people they were locked in these yeah. rooms, and there was no way of knowing who was in there. Which, which was one of the things that the lawyers on the ground found extremely problematic. And the second half of the story, of course. I mean, the first half of the story is the most important part, which is the impact of this rule or executive right. order. But the second half of it is that we are now living in protest nation. You know, last weekend it was the Women's March. This weekend it was people streaming. And again, the Women's March was planned for several weeks. This was spontaneous. Mm-hmm. People streaming into airport parking lots and waiting areas right. in enormous numbers to protest. I thought, well, it was, and, and, I thought it was both hilarious and entirely consistent with the way that he lives on this green earth that Donald Trump tweeted on Monday morning that the problem was Delta. <laughs> that the reason that the airports were clogged was because Delta's reservation system went down. I mean, I know I know Delta, Delta sucks, <laughs> and I blame Delta for many it's things in the past. Pandering to the anti-airline. The right to life march at the Capitol on Saturday was a pretty big march. So. You know, yeah. we're, we're living in protest nation now, and right. the fact is, for politicians and for regular folks, this is the moment to be woke. Right? Everybody is. Yeah. Everybody is right now so engaged and so plugged in and so on top of all this. And this is, we're just living at a moment that we've not, I think any of us, has seen, I've not seen in my aware part of my life. Like I was alive, but not really alive during the late 60s. I was, you know, four or five years old. I don't remember that specifically. It's kind of a humble brag. The Vietnam, even the Vietnam, well, not humble, I'm 50. Oh, yeah, I'm bragging about being 50. The Vietnam piece of my life is one that I only have vague memories of. Really, in the adult part of my life where I've been paying attention to stuff, I don't remember a time when everybody was so completely 
just flipped out over stuff. It, yeah. it should be noted, too, you mentioned uh, the Houston airport. On Saturday, there was a forum in Houston for the DNC chair candidates. Right. Yeah, speak about and it in the passive voice. <laughs> Pretend I wasn't there, <laughs> you right. little shit. Moderated by a journalist. Yeah, he was the guy. Oh, that guy. Like, moderated guy by a journalist. Yeah, right. Moderated by a, yeah, sort of. You know, the guy in the back going, but, but, but. <laughs> Kept interrupting Tom Perez every time. Who was that guy? Uh, but this, this forum coincided with when all these protests were kind of, um, you know, right. reaching the, their peak in some ways. And uh, right after the forum, two of the, at least two of those candidates, I believe, Tom Perez and one of the other ones who I'm blanking well, the, on The right mayor now. of South Bend, Indiana, oh, your home P state, P dummy. Buttigieg? It's Buda. Buttigieg? High yeah. five. <laughs> Violate the no high five rule. Say it again. You know that I spent hours practicing in the mirror say how to it, pronounce Buttigieg like Luca Brazzi in The Godfather, muttering to himself before Buttigieg. going to the seat. Buttigieg? No, no, no. Yeah, we, <laughs> let's leave Lil Yachty. No, that's so. good. Pete Buttigieg, the Lil Yachty of small town mayors. But he and Tom Perez, they rushed to the Houston right, airport the after airport. the forum to join the protests. And right. it, I mean, that was used later used in some stories as an example of how not just, uh, you know, the grassroots of Democratic Party, but some of the more establishment members and elected officials are becoming more and more responsive to these spontaneous um, acts of uh, correct protest, I mean, rebellion, demonstration, yeah, whatever you want to call it. You yeah. could argue whether they were effective or not until you're blue in the face, but I think the big question is, how do you then engage these folks to actually well, so make a difference so at the voting booth? That is the great question, the greatest question right now. Does it mean anything posed, and does it become well, something? women's march and then this. How do you right. take a moment and turn it into a movement? How do you ca catalyze or capitalize on the energy, momentum, and um, magnitude of these protests and have it be more than just the latest droplet in the fire hose? Because right mm -hmm. now the news environment in which we all live is a thousand things a day crowding out attention and energy and all that. It's I mean, a even, Twitter stream. Well, even I mean, the news cycle is a Twitter stream. You yeah. know, so with the nomination of the Supreme Court uh, that uh, Trump made last night, it's like, oh, yeah, remember the airport protests? That's so two days ago. <laughs> Except then he tweets about it, too. Right. But this is the world we're in. This is the world we're in right now. And so, and so how do you take that stuff and roll it forward? And that is the big question. So speaking of the awakened, let's also talk about the unawakened, the, the Twitter streams and email streams from our elected officials Very were quiet. noticeably quiet <laughs> from Friday to about Sunday. Um, all of the people who like to issue yeah. a press release that says, I saw a hydrant go off, you know, whatever, um, didn't say anything about this. Um, well, I, I think we now know that one of the reasons was that a lot of those members of Congress weren't even filled in on the executive order. I right. mean, I think it was yesterday, it is uh, Media Avail, Paul Ryan said he heard about it as it was being rolled out or something like that. So although that's his, another uh, way of although, saying Although again, senior staff yeah. at the, at the <laughs> Capitol had been working on it and it. signed NDAs. Yeah. This, is so, this is so their, interesting. Their I mean, the so internal long. thing has got to be, you know, yeah. um, pretty interesting. But yeah, a lot of them said they saw it on the TV. Yeah. Um, and then they didn't react to it. So Right. The well, even people like Greg Abbott, who went to court for almost a year to keep Syrian refugees out of the state, still did—I mean—did not respond at all when mm -hmm. Trump did exactly what he wanted him to do, or wanted someone to do for the last year. So the partisan and reflux, you know, reaction was there. The Democrats jumped up and said, "You know, this is mm -hmm. terrible," but the Republicans didn't counterreact at all. It was just sort of an interesting moment in all of this. And the Texas delegation was quiet for a long time. I guess. Once it sorted out, um, yeah, most of the Republicans were with Trump. Most of the Democrats 
were against Trump. Will right. Hurd was a notable standout in the Republicans. Also, Joe Strauss, although he wasn't as uh, sharp as Will Hurd was, Joe Strauss put up a Facebook statement that I think you could interpret as being uneasy with this order. Right. Or at least, it, the, implement- it, or at least the implementation. It, it, it is as close to Joe Strauss yeah. waving his hands and stamping his feet and raising his voice. I am very disappointed. Oh, come right. on, Dad. Just smack yeah. me. It's, you know, it's, it's they fell in line, though. Yeah, at least you pointed out. No, he didn't. They all, they all, right. Most Republicans fell in line eventually. Yeah. And then they were very, you know, everybody snapped back into position when yeah. Trump announced a Supreme Court justice. It's like, okay, so their Twitter accounts Yesterday still was actually, dare I use the word, normal. <clears throat> it was very Well, right. Compared to the previous 11 days, which, you know, it's sort of like, you know, suicide squad running the government. Now, yesterday was actually something much more normal. Right. Sort of a big normal rollout. You know, the here's a here's a big presentation. Um, and then the just, son of the guy, the son of the woman who once called her job at the EPA a nothing burger. How's that for trivia? Uh, Ann Gorsuch. Um, and everybody reacted like you would expect them to. And I guess we're in a regular old fight. And, you know, this Supreme is going to be, you know, I think, I think we're going to be in an interesting period now where I, I, I've been saying this, that the definition of hypocrisy or, you know, chutzpah at the moment is, you know, you're furious about something that you yourself were doing five minutes ago. I mean, I, I'm, I hear these arguments from people in Congress. Well, why are you holding up Trump's nominees? Why won't you give the nominees a fair hearing? And my response is... Cough, cough, Merrick Garland, cough, cough. Right. right? I mean, there's a. Uh, I was like, I get. I'm, I'm sympathetic actually to the idea that elections have consequences. Your side didn't win. Get back to work, right? President's going to nominate these people. He's got the numbers, and he's probably going to end up getting them through. But there is a lot of hypocrisy on both sides. A favorite right? detail from one of the Gorsuch stories was that he had taken up the defense of a couple of justices to. Um, appellate courts who'd had a really hard time in Senate hearings a few years ago. He said, these are really good guys. They're among the best legal minds of their generation. And this was an awful process. One of them was John Roberts and the other one was Merrick Garland, uh, <laughs> who was sort of an interesting in- interesting detail in the thing. Yep. Let me switch to Texas here. Uh, while all that was going on nationally, they rolled out finally um, the voucher and ESA's bill. This is the educational savings accounts. It's this version's you know, this version's episode with school choice. Um, how's this going to go? I mean, we had a layout of the bathroom bill, and Dan Patrick usually likes to stand in front of a phalanx of, of senators. The bathroom bill the was phalanx. just him, him and um, Cole Course, but the phalanx was back for the ESAs. It looks like they're going to have a, a yeah, good run at this. Yeah. But he doesn't sound like he has the vote yet. That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know if he was – was he asked that at you the mean, You mean in the House it. or the Senate? Uh, in the Senate. He doesn't – you know, he said – you know, he's, he has said about the bathroom bill. I, I forget the exact quote. Help me out here. It was, you know, uh, he said he was we're pretty close. He said he was close to having the votes. He recently said they're very close to having the votes in the Senate for the bathroom bill. Right. Yeah. The Senate has passed a previous voucher bill. They passed a scholarship bill last year that would have uh, been a tax credit against franchise taxes. The current bill has a tax credit against insurance premium taxes – into a $100 million scholarship program that can grow by 10% per year forever. And on the other side has these education savings accounts that people will be able to pull their kid out of a school and say, go to a parochial, a private, or a homeschool and use those, I guess, like a debit card for those expenses. Um, What's the Mm -hmm. vote look like on this? Any feel for it yet? No, crickets. Um, no, I think wow. what's what may be new about if there is something new about the, the debate about this this time is that we all we've always known that there's tension between the House and Senate on this, but Patrick is right. perhaps giving it voice in, in ways we didn't see last session. I, I, I think back to that school choice rally again, where he was very vocal. I, I hadn't heard him use this language before in saying, you know, this, you know, 
pointing out very explicitly this died in the House this time. Give it a vote in the House. Or he's last throwing time. high hard ones at yeah, the House. Yeah, exactly. Speaker, right. Particularly all the while saying he's not. Who wasn't wearing yeah. a yellow scarf at that. And he said basically if no, you don't no. give this a vote, you're, you know, you're denying a, a future for these kids or something. It was very and dramatic. And by the way, he's not only attacking, he's <laughs> not only attacking the House, taking a page from Trump, he's also attacking the media. Right. What he said when the, when the bill was introduced and what he said before, I mean, I expect him, half expect him to bust it now and say, you reporters would not allow it if your kid went to a failing school. That's true. Yeah, right? I mean, that's you turn the doing, camera, right? Yeah, you turn the tables. I would encourage yeah. that. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, again, we knew that tension was there, but to see him give voice to it in, in this way, this early on in the session, maybe is, is new. I just, you know, both uh, both chambers love getting advice yeah. from the other chamber. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll just point out. Uh, is, is Patrick taking any risks here with the with, no. the, with the bathroom bill? and no. with the Political with the risks? Bill? Yeah, I mean, no. you know, is there a risk that he doesn't get this out of the Senate? Is it, or is it just, you know, is that a fake drama? What what is he what what would the risk be? Unpopular What's the risk? stuff. I'm not running for governor. He's already said that. Right. Right. He's already got his 15 minutes on the cover of Texas Monthly. So you've already written his epitaph. I'm not writing his epitaph. I'm saying, what's the risk? I'm actually doing the reverse. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying he dead. I'm saying he very much alive. I'm not suggesting for a moment that there's an epitaph to be written. I just don't think there's any risk in him. These are things he cares about. He's been on the school choice train for a long time. Yeah. Right. Well, is there? I mean, is there any? For at least on the bathroom front, is there really any risk if he? knows he can get it out of the Senate and it'll die in the House and maybe not lead to the economic fallout that people have warned about. Right. Is it a risk if that's where Well, it's I think if he can anyway. get, you know, anything he gets out of the Senate, he's fine on. Right. Uh, I mean, right. if there's a, I, I, that's really what I'm asking. Is and there any risk that Byron he cook an effigy. Do you see any risk that he doesn't get either <laughs> one of these bills out of the Senate? think he gets both these out. Well, we had this conversation last week. I know, but, you know, 7,000 things have passed by since then. I mean, I think it'll be embarrassing to him among, like, the Austin uh, political class if he can't get school choice. Right, like he gives (laughs) a crap about that. I don't think, yeah, none of this stuff uh, carries any political risk with the people I think he cares the most about. I, st- yeah. I stick with what I said last week. I think that I think I think that's what I said last week. Oh my God! <laughs> now it's fact checkable. Uh, that in order, I think Sanctuary Cities has the likeliest chance of passing. That school choice is mm-hmm. second, or that bathroom is second, and school choice is third. But that both bathroom and school choice are a significant distance from Sanctuary Six Cities, cities. Mm-hmm. in terms of the likelihood of them becoming law. Right. Right. right? Okay. I think that's the dynamic has not changed on yeah. it. Well, and at the end of the day, if they mm-hmm. if both school choice and bathrooms die in the right. house, that just gives him more to run off of with right. his C- folks. C- candidly, say, old, uh, old sheriff, she sells sanctuary here in Travis County is the one <laughs> who's <laughs> is the one who is giving him the best case for yeah. sanctuary but, cities passing and the best likelihood that the bill passes. But right. what I'm interested in on the sanctuary cities and, and the house is yes, at the outset of this session, I believe Joe Strauss said he could see a sanctuary cities bill getting through the house. He's expressed general support for this idea. But as there continues to be all these politically explosive episodes, um, you know, with Sally Hernandez, with Abbott's suggestion that the legislation will remove people from office, with um, today where, you know, the bill includes a a sanctuary campus provision, you know, so it's interesting to see if the House's posture changes as this becomes so much more politically charged. If, if more than it already is. Let's leave it there. That's all the time we have. If you have questions or comments, email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. And you can sign up now for Tribcast alerts at texastribune.org slash tribcast. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. On behalf of Evan, Alexa, Patrick, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Ross, hoping for Emily's fast return. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Come back.
like you're like shaking your hair, like like like, like it was a shampoo commercial. 